Hey everybody, I wanna give you a gift before we dive in. If you're at the beginning of your content marketing journey or if you've been doing it a while but it's not working as well as you want and you feel like something is missing, I wanna give you a roadmap to help you get more ROI out of your content. This is my blog remix method and it's a shortcut to go from one blog to dozens of pieces of content in less than 60 minutes. Even if you have webinars, podcasts, and video content, you can take the transcripts and follow the guidelines in the exact same way. It's a great resource. It's free. You should have it. If you haven't downloaded it already, grab it right now at justinsimon.co slash remix. If you're listening to this podcast feed, you can click the link right below and download it. Get it, read it, apply it. It takes you step-by-step step to get more value out of your blog content and get it in front of your audience. So grab the guide, get a blog, and get it running. That's my blog remix method, and it's free at justinsimon.co slash remix. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I want to thank my friends at Hatch for producing this episode. You can get unlimited podcast editing and strategy for one flat rate by visiting hatch.fm. All right, let's get in the show. Welcome to Distribution First, the show where we flip content marketing on its head and focus on what happens after you hit publish. Each week I share playbooks, motivations, stories, and strategies to help you repurpose and distribute your content because you deserve to get the most out of everything you create. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Distribution First. I am so pumped to have Carter on this episode. Carter just started a new role as the SVP of Marketing at Delivery Solutions, which I was making fun of him before we got on. It sounds like the most basic Acme brand you could be. I almost <laughs> think he's making it up. It's not a real company and he doesn't actually work there. But we will be getting into some of this stuff and maybe he'll prove that it is a real place where there are real people working. So, Carter... Nice to have you out, man. Yeah, thanks to be here. And it's funny, you know, sometimes we uh, over or underestimate simplicity, right? Make the name of the company super clear what we do and there won't be any confusion. We don't have to put any like Y's for I's or extra E's or any of that kind of stuff. Just, you know, make it straightforward. So there is maybe some beauty left in that. My course name is Content Repurposing Roadmap. So I have nothing to <laughs> talk about. I cannot name a product to save my life. This podcast is called Distribution First. I have no creativity. I am like, the last person you want in a brainstorm for like... Well, there's a whole book that's called Don't Make Me Think. So like we're on to something here that okay. maybe is of value. All right, we're going to run with it, definitely. So <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on. I think, honestly, I wish we would have hit record in some of the pre-call stuff because that's when the best conversations happen, but we are going to get there. So I'm interested just to kick it off and kind of hear a little bit about, I think it's so funny, some of the best feedback I get from people who listen to the show it's like, I kind of want the behind the scenes. I want the in the weeds of what other companies are doing and what, you know, whether it's content programs or distribution programs, those type of things. So I'm curious, like maybe just real quick, give the rundown of your team, maybe again, like 30 seconds in terms of like what that structure looks like. And then we can maybe dive into a little bit deeper into like what your guys' strategy is, what your plans yeah. are, how you're trying to ramp this thing up. Yeah, for sure. So I'm in an interesting situation where, uh, you know, I just started a month ago and inherited a team, which is actually a little bit unique for me personally. I'm usually the one that's the early first marketer kind of person that's hiring and scaling the team. 
and in this situation, this is a, a company that's a little bit more mature. They were acquired about a year ago. So there had some people and some folks in place. And so the interesting thing, though, is that this is kind of the way that I would have assembled and built the team myself and the way that I've built teams in the past. I don't know if it's still as nice and clean and cut as it used to be, where it's like brand and demand as the two kind of sides, which is the way I built teams five years ago or whatever. But essentially, that's kind of what we got. We've got a demand gen person. We've got a content marketing person, someone who's owning events. And then we've got actually, as of this week, we moved just the BDR function under marketing as well to try to unify that that kind of top of funnel. And then something I've never had before is a project manager who's actually dedicated to the marketing team. And that has been life changing for me to have all meetings set, all uh, notes taken, have a huge Monday board with all of our tasks organized and follow up. It's amazing. It's one of those things where I'm like, I'm spoiled. I don't know if I can in the rest of my career, I can ever not have someone sitting in this seat because it's just so phenomenal. I also personally email is like my arch nemesis. Like I hate email. Like it's the the bane of my existence. And so having someone who's copied on everything, it's like, hey, you didn't respond to that. I'm like, yes, hold me to it. But don't expect me to check emails four times a day. It's not going to happen. So that's uh, a little bit extra than you asked for. But that's kind of the, the team setup. Love that. That's uh, somebody I also had a project manager when I was at TechSmith at the end there for a couple of years. Actually, my buddy Austin was the project manager. And it's life changing to have somebody, you know, like I went from a scenario where like Asana boards were just like planned <laughs> out in, you know, just wonderful organization. And I am not detailed and not organized in that way. And then I go to, you know, high growth startup. I start my own thing. It's pure chaos. People ask, yeah. you know, how do you organize your stuff, Justin? How do you keep it? I'm like, you don't want to know. It's like you a know. notebook and like chaos on the internet. So mm-hmm. that's how mm-hmm. I organize things. <laughs> yeah, not maybe not the most scalable, but it's like, hey, I'm making it. All right. Hey, we're working. We're working. Yeah. Sometimes that's how you got to do it. So <laughs> I think one of the you know, more interesting things that I wanted to talk through based on some of the stuff we were jamming on before is content marketing, how it's evolving, especially as somebody who's now running, running a marketing department. I think traditionally we might have thought like stand up a SEO sort of pillar page system and start trying to drive traffic and write a bunch of blogs and do all that type of thing. But now you got this new team. You got a content marketer, you got a demand <laughs> gen, you've got BDRs. Like, how do you think about doing content? Like, what's your first initial steps here as you're moving into it? Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting coming in from the outside and trying to understand what's the logic behind what we're doing? What's the systems in place? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? And so for me, you know, it, there still are some of the foundational things that I do think still apply, right? But thinking that we're going to just start ranking for all these keywords and we're just going to get all this qualified traffic that's coming in organically because we've got all this content covering these topics, I just don't think is is realistic. One, with that, just how saturated the internet is with content, right? And two, with the rate that the algorithm is changing and when AI is playing into that and just there's so many things that are out of our control that the old model of if you write it, they will come. I just don't find it to be realistic anymore. And I think people's attention span is even shorter. And I don't know that I mean, I personally have never in the last however many years sat down and just read a blog post start to finish word for word and just been enthralled with, you know, unless I'm like, I don't know, like absolutely deep diving on something technical, maybe that's probably not related to work. It's probably like some how to fix my car or I don't know, something that's like super in-depth maybe. So I think it's like thinking about the way that people consume content now and the way that they actually go about getting that in their eyeballs is just not uh, sitting down and reading a long form piece of content, I don't think anymore. That's so interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, especially 
one of the companies I've been working with is like really trying to build the content strategy from the ground up. Like it's a brand new company trying to build it up. And, you know, we've been talking back and forth in terms of like what the best setup might be. And it's like, well, you know, we're going to interview stakeholders. We're going to maybe spin up some blogs, maybe do some other things. And I'm like, the more I'm thinking through that, though, I'm like, is the blog even necessary? Like, mm -hmm. is that blog piece <laughs> other than to say we have a blog? Yeah. Like, wouldn't it almost be better to outline that stuff and then distribute the mess out of that across the Internet, whether that's your social channels, email, something to like have it yeah. be a drip thing, especially if it's not something somebody's going to even type in. And I'm the distribution person. This show is distribution first. And I was like, why am I just now thinking of this? Like, this is like, it was like a light bulb moment. I was on, on a walk the other day. Yeah. So, well, we won't go as far as to say that like the blog shouldn't exist. Maybe it shouldn't. I don't know. But there is yeah. something of value in the exercise, right? So the way that I think about it is, okay, here's a topic that's relevant to our ICP. If we just go do a bunch of research and regurgitate the internet into a new blog post, it's like there's nothing of value being added there. There's nothing from our chief product officer that's being infused into this as like, here's our unique take, our own perspective, why we do things the way we do them. There is value in spending time just thinking through those things and developing those things. One of the things that I've always wanted to do is like, okay, we're going to go meet with a subject matter expert, right? But let's have that be a structured interview style video where we take that, it becomes a blog post in the way that we intended. Oh, but also we just got our CTOs, whoever talking for 30 minutes on video that we can then chop up and use in different places, social email, wherever, newsletters, whatever that looks like. So I won't go as far as say that the blog is dead. All right. And there still is some value in organic traffic and ranking for certain topics in certain situations. And depending on your industry, maybe there's still a ton of, you know, mm -hmm. white space out there for content and, and long tail keywords or whatever this you could rank for. But the way I think about it, or the way that my perspective has always been in the last few years is like, we do need to spend the time to develop our own unique take on this. And it's in our company somewhere. And as marketers, we have to go seek out that person and get time with them, which is not easy to do. It's also a lot of times not easy to find those super technical people who are like charismatic and want to be on camera mm -hmm. and are like, yeah, put my face out on LinkedIn. A lot of the times they're like, yeah, no, I'm not really comfortable <laughs> with that. And that's a weird game that we have to play too. So a lot of times I find where I'll get all that information or my product marketing person or product manager will write it up, I'll refine it. And then I'll put a script right here above my camera and I'll record the video. And it sounds great. And it sounds like I know what I'm talking about, but really I just took something super technical and made a piece of content out of it because like, okay, I'm okay on camera. I feel comfortable doing that. Some people don't, I'll just do it myself, but at least we're going through that process and, and like extracting that information out. And I think that's a miss that I still see, like, don't just go add more noise to the internet by collecting things you found through Google searches. Like it's just, I, to me, that's a, a waste of time, energy, and effort. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I love that take. And I think the more companies that I find myself working with, and even when I was full-time working within an org, I just constantly go back to the, like, what is the purpose of this thing? And most of the time, it's like to get it created. And we just don't take the step. We don't take that either next step or take a step back, however you want to frame it up, to say, why are we even doing this? Like, what, what are we even doing here? Yeah. 
blogging for the sake of blogging, right? Just like, yeah, like you said, checking Any the box. Of it, right? Yeah. You know, we're going to send a weekly email. We're going to create an ebook. We're going to have a podcast. We're going to do a YouTube channel. All of the, like, those are all fine and great, but doing them just to do them does not make any no. sense, you know, especially long-term. In that case, you're giving yourself a ton of work. You're giving your team a ton of work and you're not moving the needle. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's kind of that, the theme I was saying where it's like, if we don't have something interesting to say about this, we don't need to be spending our time, energy and effort on it. So, you know, one of the things that we're kind of going through as a company is we offer, let's say like five products, right? And the status quo in the industry is to go get a point solution for each one of those products, right? I'm going to go do one thing with one company. I'll go do another thing with another company. And essentially that's like the way that people go about it. That's the status quo. And what we've built is all of those different products within one unified platform. Mm -hmm. And so we're having to do a lot of this, like, it's like the burden of education is on us because they, in their minds, they don't know that this can all be in one place and on one software platform. And so, you know, we came up with a, a name for it. We call it OXM, right? And like I said, that's not a commonly used term in our space. And so now if we're going to go write blogs and do content and all that stuff, it needs to be around how we're shaping and transforming the category that we are within, not just, oh, let's go talk about how to do the best XYZ on this certain product. And that's one of the things that, that honestly, previous roles have been in the same situation where there's a lot of education and there's a lot of like, what's the quickest way I can get you from point A to point B in your brain where you go, oh, now I get what you're doing. You know, it's like when everyone used to say, oh, we're going to be the Uber of whatever. And that was mm -hmm. like their, their way mm -hmm. of like helping you understand how they were going to change something. That's something I'm still trying to figure out. Like I'm delved into April Dunford's book right now on positioning and messaging, just trying to figure out like, what are the things that we can say to tie it all together to where it makes sense? So I say all that say, if we're creating content, it's got to be through the lens of like, okay, the reason we're doing this is because we know that we are doing something unique and different and we have to spend the time educating the market. Otherwise, no one will ever understand what it is. And so there's the mm. reason behind why we're creating it. Yeah, having that buy-in at a leadership level within marketing is huge. So nice work, Carter. Uh, <laughs> and I've been very thankful, like very lucky throughout my career to have, for the most part, leadership who was bought in to some of those things. But I think having that sort of rallying like unifying like pov is becoming extremely important within companies and companies who have those sort of stake in the ground povs that everybody lives and breathes and can get around that to me it matters so much more than almost anything else going into it because once you have those things established and you have like your unique take your unique spot then you can have fun. Then you have a story to tell. Then you can create some really unique content that, you know, you can really start to expand from there. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say with that. So yeah, the marketing person does need to like understand that. The other thing too, is like our founders, like truly are kind of our visionaries. Like they, you know, this is their second go around starting a company because they kind of have seen five steps ahead. And so they're already saying, we're kind of taking a bet on where we think this is going because we're starting to see that it's a possibility. But the other part of this as a marketer, is do you have product market fit? Do you have mm. customers who are using it the way that you intend it to be using? Because then it makes my job way easier. It's not like I'm trying to convince someone for the first time to do something. I can say, hey, look at these 15 other companies who are using it and the results that they're getting. And that changes everything from a marketer's perspective, because then you're not trying to like convince someone mm. to take a risk on something that's completely unknown. 
So that's a really tough spot to be as a marketer if you don't truly have product market fit, because it's like, if we don't know who we are, how in the world can we go tell the market who we are? Right, right. Yeah. Having a product that people love and that is useful and beneficial, but not having marketing is much better than the other way around of like, <laughs> yeah. all right, we've got like, you know, the best marketers in the world, but this product doesn't fit. There's not like, yeah. I don't, I can't connect the dot between what this is in the audience. <laughs> Like it's just an uphill battle. Yeah. And and then I guess to kind of bring it full circle, at least like for the topic of this show, that's a lot of content that you can create right there too. I was like, okay, what are those use cases and how is it actually having impact and what are the results that it's driving? And when you can go call five customers and talk through that story and they go, yeah, yeah, we'll do a case study. We'll do an interview. We'll do whatever. Again, like it changes your life as a marketer when you have that to fall back on. And then that's a powerful message to go amplify. Yeah. And you don't need a ton of those, at least at the beginning, like... I had Joel Klecki on from Case Study Buddy earlier, and it was really interesting to hear how he talks about case studies in a very similar way, which is just like planning ahead, working with your sales team, working with your customer success team, understanding who those right customers are, and then being able to create content and amplify that message yeah. across, you know, different parts yeah. of the funnel and, and all those type of things. So we've used, uh, we use him, we use Case Study Buddy. So oh. shout out. Awesome. Hey, Joel, you're welcome. Yeah. Not that it was my, uh, <laughs> That it was me. A little, a little <laughs> plug there, though, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm curious, like, how, as you're thinking about building up this content, building up your marketing engine, however it is, like, one of the things I'm realizing with that POV, whether it's the content type or just like how some things are being presented, I'm really curious, like, how do you differentiate? How do you create something that's different in the market and maybe for more traditional market or a more, I don't know, I was going to say boring, but like, I don't bland oh, <laughs> dentist office or something like the lift isn't as high, <laughs> right? Like the lift to market those things isn't as high as like, we've got the, you know, the newest SAS and we're competing against blah, 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 yeah. blah. Like, how do you think about that? All right. So here's what I'll say. And this, maybe it's not a hot take, but it is at least like, the popular thing, ungate everything, give it away. If you make it easy, it'll whatever. And it's like, maybe if that works in your space, but like for people to go out on LinkedIn and say like, hey, this is the end all be all, this is what you have to do it, it's just dead wrong. Like it does not apply to everybody. And what you just said is spot on. Years ago, I worked in like multifamily senior living space. We did a webinar every two weeks and just crushed pipeline. I mean, we had tons of people sign up. Everybody would show up. That industry was so hungry just for content. And so downloading an ebook like they, yeah, absolutely. And that always would translate into something meaningful down the road, whether that's just a touch point or the thing that actually got them to, you know, strike up a conversation with a BDR or whatever it is. But yeah, to go out and just say like, you have to be doing TikTok or whatever those things are. It's like, no, it has to work for your industry and it has to, your audience has to be there. And so, I, I, like I said, the webinars, we just like absolutely crushed pipeline. And then, you know, here I'm in, in an early stage of just trying to figure that out. Hmm. And I think a lot of that is what marketing boils down to is like, where does your ICP hang out? Where do they get their information? Who do they talk to? Is it a bunch of like back channel, you know, at events is where all the conversations happen? Is there Slack communities? Is it some certain industry publication maybe that's known as like the end all be all? And that's where you need to sponsor some content to get in front of these people. It's different everywhere you go. So I don't actually have the answer right now as far as like what those channels are going to look like and where we want to spend our time. And it's kind of interesting too, right? It's like, 
how do you see how active your ICP is on LinkedIn? And I don't mean posting. I can't tell you how long they spend on the platform, how much they are just lurkers in the background, consuming content, never interacting or posting or doing anything. So for like our world, you know, marketing, MarTech, all those kind of things. Sure. Our audience is on LinkedIn. Like they're active there. That's where we can go. And that's where you and I have built audiences around marketing. But in the logistics software space, you know, I don't know if they're on LinkedIn. I have no Mm -hmm. idea. I've got to go figure that out. So I don't have a good answer for you on that. But besides like, it's not if you build it, they will come. It's like, where did they build it? And you go there. (laughs) Any thoughts on how you're thinking about getting those answers? That's tough. So we, we have started building a list of, you know, adjacent companies, ideal customer profile companies. And we've started actually listing out name, job title, LinkedIn profile, URL. And you can go and look at least and see if they're doing any type of activity, liking, commenting, resharing, anything like that. It's hit or miss there. There's no like real consistent stream. What I've actually found and this is nothing new, but it's like, you got to go ask your customers. Like I was on site at a customer this week. We had a QBR with them and I just asked, can I tag along just to be a fly on the wall in the room? Uh, and that was really insightful. I learned a lot about the way that they work and the, what they're asking for and where they get their information and just being able to have those conversations. That to me is like, just go to the source. That's the simplest way, in my opinion. Yeah, having those connections where you can, if you're not sure, at least ask like, because they're going to be in groups or they might bring up a random Slack group that they're mm-hmm. in or something. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I've never heard of that in my entire life. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's where those insights can come in. Yeah. And the other thing I, I will say too, so that was a, a very formal meeting, right? With a deck and a presentation and we had hitting points and we've got, you know, a renewal discussion, like all kinds of things going on in there. One of the things though that I found is like, if you can get them happy hour, you know, mm. somewhere that is not, I'm in business mode, you get a lot more out of them. Just like, oh, you know, did you see someone who company did this? That, that was awesome. Or that sucked or whatever it was. But there literally was a joke that was like, well, if you get me some drinks, we'll have a different conversation. I was like, okay, got it. Noted. <laughs> so absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you got to gotta get people off the clock sometimes just to have those conversations. So. Well, especially, yeah. If like, if you're really trying to get to not a perfect manicured answer, but like a real honest, like, here's where we actually talk. This is what actually happens. This is what I actually care about. Or here's the type of content that I would like to consume. Cause yeah, just guessing or assuming that's not going to work out. <laughs> How do you think about that? Because I think that is a sometimes a tough balance to find between the content that you know you should create versus the content that you end up creating. And I think that it's because in the perfect world, right? Like you get on LinkedIn, you say, you should never do gated. You should never do this, right? Like it's the whole thing. Like, um, And there is tons of nuance there. But I think the thing that, is always difficult is like the internal aspects of like, what does the board want to happen, which gets put down to the, you know, the CEO, which gets put down to the VP, which gets put down to the content person, which gets put, you know, like (laughs) there are these sort of like threads that happen from time to time. But I'm curious, like, yeah, how do you balance kind of that? Like, because I know for me, it, it sometimes it's difficult. Like you feel like you should be doing this, thing, like blogs. You feel like you should be doing some blogs. And if you're not, that might feel a little like painful or like I'm doing something wrong or I'm not doing this right. Like either how do you get over that mindset or like what encouragement would you give either another SVP or a head of content who's like, 
I think we should be doing this, but we're not. That's a tough one. So, I mean, the way that I've gone about that in the past is if we say, okay, we want to try a new channel, right? Then you have to have like a hypothesis around what you expect to happen. You have to have predetermined indicators of success or failure, whether that is, you know, we want to try Google ads and we want to spend five grand a month and we hope we get X, Y, Z from that. If we get, you know, 75% of that, we'll continue to invest at whatever rate, like I think a lot of times people will go into those unknowns of we think we should be doing this, but we're not sure without any like expectation of what success or failure looks like. And the other thing too, is like that travels really well upstream. Okay. Mr. Board CEO person that wants us to do or stop doing paid search or whatever. Okay. Well, here's the data around that. Here's what we expect to see and to happen. And we'll try this and we'll report back to you. It's hard to argue with data. It's, you know, and mm. it's hard to argue with We ran a, I'm doing air quotes, scientific test, right? Where there's at least something behind it that we can prove yes or no. And, you know, as a smaller team, you can't do everything and you have to be okay with that. And so if you're making sure that the things you're investing in are aligning to the outcome of revenue, pipeline and revenue as a marketing team, that's a pretty good indicator of what you should and shouldn't be doing. However, the caveat to that is I think brand has made a full circle resurgence over what we used to be using so much of paid media to track black and white binary. Here's my ROI for every single dollar I spend. And that's hard to track. Brand's tough to track. But I will say the companies that spend the time and go out there and tell their story well through content and through distributing content in a really powerful way, you know, those are the ones that I think are successful. And unfortunately, that's hard to track. But you know, if pipeline is going up and to the right, then you should be convicted that, okay, we are doing the right channels. These are the ones that we should be doing. And next quarter, that one we've got a hunch about, let's set 5% of the budget aside and get a game plan together and let's go execute on it and see what comes of it. Ah, I'm itching. I'm itching to get into this because I think one of the things I struggle with from time to time is this idea, because I agree at the end of the day, marketing is responsible for driving pipeline and revenue as a content person. That's so difficult if you want to do content the right way now. And I have found it's sometimes hard <laughs> to connect those dots. I'll put it this way. It's easy if Pipeline's going up and to the right when the podcast is cruising and this is happening. And you're like, yeah, these are the right things to be doing. It's difficult when revenue is flat and your mm. podcast isn't an automatic revenue generator like, how do you think about that, Carter? How do you, like, as a marketing leader, like, what are those conversations that you have in your head? Because I have had plenty of them in my head of, like, existential crisis as a content <laughs> creator of, like, what are we even doing here? I can't just go pull a lever and create, like, three new blogs, even if they're ranked number one, and start driving pipeline. Yeah. Content's a little bit of a unique one, right? And if the goal is for the company or the team brand awareness, right? Okay, well, let's go look at direct and organic traffic. That's a pretty good indicator that, you know, people know who you are, they're searching for you, they're finding you one way or the other. That is roughly tied back to content, right? All rising tides lift ships or whatever that's saying <laughs> is like, it's an amalgamation of all the marketing efforts that you're doing. So if you silo yourself as, okay, I'm the content person, you're not solely responsible for pipeline right? Like mm. you're just a piece of the pie. There's a paid media person and demand gen and a, and an email marketer and a copywriter and all of you together rowing in the same direction are responsible for revenue. And so it's like, 
trying to pigeonhole it into saying, okay, I'm a content person and I want to tie myself to revenue. It's kind of difficult like that. I don't think that's necessarily realistic, but what I will say is like, if everyone on the marketing team is doing the right things, I do think that, you know, you'll see the overall outcomes of your efforts because what you want really at the end of the day is a really strong marketing mix, right? Mm -hmm. I want leads coming from every different direction, from referrals to, you know, customers to, you know, net new inbound from, someone listens to your podcast and hears about case study buddy, like that's what you really want to see is a good mix of that. And you'll never be able to track all of it. Like mm. we all just have accepted that. Hopefully like your attribution is never going to be perfect. And I actually have an example of that where someone saw a LinkedIn ad from us. This is years ago, slacked a friend of theirs and said, Hey, I just saw a LinkedIn ad. This looks interesting. You should look it up. That person the next week happened to get an email from an AE. And they e booked it and it was sales sourced, right? And not mm. only, and only at the end of the sales cycle, when we went back and kind of did a postpartum, it was like, how did you guys actually hear about us? Oh, my coworker saw your ad and slacked me. And then I happened to get an email later. So I was open to having a conversation. It's like, great. Thank you. Let me go put that on a board deck slide somewhere. Like it's not going to happen. But that's what I think is interesting is like, I think good marketing is never going to be fully tracked. So having a marketing leader who's willing to have that not argument, but have that statement and a fact to the board and to the CEO and to whoever else. It's not easy to do. And you do have to track things you can to help justify that. But yeah, it's not binary, black and white, easy science. <laughs> darn, darn. Yeah, no, I, I've i been there too. Like even when I led a content team, I wasn't leading marketing, but I at times had to have those conversations with folks on my team because we would have OKRs that were very metrics driven. And it's like, how does my role impact that? You know, like, mm -hmm. I want to feel like I'm moving the needle and nothing I do will impact that needle, like impact that OKR directly. And so it's like, yeah, you have to have those conversations to understand. I love how you put that, like everybody rowing together, doing what we agree upon as the right things, obviously adjust, see how it's working. If, if yep. everybody's doing it and it's not working, you know, that's when you have to have kind of those you know, look in the mirror moments of like, all right, we think this is the right thing. Like, are we just not doing enough short enough things that can sustain us in the short term? Because these are all, all the things we're betting on are long-term growth. And I think that's part of that mix too, is like trying to yep. figure out those different tactics and strategies that are short-term compared to long-term, you know, to find success. Yeah. So that's really topical for me right now because I'm working on a presentation of like a six month, 12 month marketing strategy. Right. And I'll present that to my founders and then to the greater leadership team and obviously to the marketing team. And the whole thing is based around, okay, here's short-term expectations. Here's things we can do in the short term and the wins. And what we hope to see is the results from that are indicators of success. And while we're standing up a larger inbound, you know, brand awareness and longer term things, which also here the expectations and KPIs and determinators of success for that. It's like, you have to set that, that expectation up front because of course, every marketer, everyone wants leads and pipeline yesterday, right? But it's not that easy, but there are certain channels and certain flips you can switch that happen a lot quicker. Paid media, for example, you know, if you haven't tested Google ads for people who are searching for your solution, like start there, put some money into that, see what you can drum up and capture in the short term while you're continuing to build the longer term, you know, position strategy, all the bigger picture stuff. So, I mean, yeah. And the other thing I was going to say is like, part of marketing is taking some bets. Mm. And it's probably one of the most frustrating parts of it is because my brain works in a very like, if then statements, and it's not, it's just not that way. And so you have to be okay with some ambiguity, which, you know, in the startup world can be a little scary, 
if you're the marketing leader and there are some unknowns and you're taking some bets, like your job is kind of on the line in some situations. The other thing I'll say too, though, is like, if it's not working, then let's go back to, okay, are we not positioning this the right way? Is the message wrong? Are we focusing too much on the how and not the why? Or are we talking about, you know, features and bells and whistles and not the value of those features? Like there's certain things that I think are addressable that you should be having a gut check along the way as you're trying to kind of figure out the marketing mix and what's going to work. Yeah, definitely. As we wrap, I'm curious, I want you to think not where you're at now, and it may be hard for you to think of this because I know you have a content person on your team and I don't want them to like, I'd love for them to listen to the show, but I want them to listen to the show and be like, oh man, this is what Carter expects. But I'm curious, like you're the VP of marketing. You've got a, a head of content, let's just say on your team. Like, what does that ideal situation look like for a content person? Like, what's that relationship look like? Like, what's the dream scenario of like, man, this is what I expect from a content, like head of content. Mm. I would love this, 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 this. What's, what, what's on your mind there, Carter? Cool. Good question. So what I will say to start this out that I learned early on in management is there is more than one right way to do something. So even if it's not the way that you necessarily would do it, does not mean that the end goal and outcome will not also be great. So I say all of that to say for years, I ran a content marketing agency with some of my buddies. And so we were a HubSpot partner agency. This was in like the heyday of inbound and content marketing. And so I've done that a lot for a lot of different customers. And I have a very like, here's my system. Here's where we think about quarterly content strategy. Here's how we map it out. And what's interesting is I got here and I like super open-minded, right? Like, what are we doing? What are we working on? What's working? What's not? And my content marketing leader is super sharp and he's been doing this for a long time too. And so the initial gut reaction was like, no, 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 that's not how I would do it. That's not the way that we should do these things. And so I said, hey, let's take a step back and let's look at the strategy. So he walked away and put together a fantastic strategy document with a very detailed outline of like, here's how we use this. Here's the outcomes. Here's who does what. Here's the distribution plan. Here's how we understand which topics we're writing for and why. And so that to me is actually the expectation that I have at this point is you need to know the product really, really well. You need to know our customers really, really well and understand how those two intercede and be creating content around that. And I have to be okay with the fact that I've got a good content marketing person or you hire a great content marketing person and you get out of their way, like empower them mm -hmm. to do their thing and let them do their job. And if there's stumbles and falls along the way, you're there to correct and guide and help. And the other thing I think is important too is, okay, this is not exactly how I would do it. I'll give you the reins to go do that. Let's set expectations right now and let's revisit in three months. And if it's not working the way that you said it was going to work, then maybe we do need to change some things, right? So there's some trust there. There's some empower them, put them in a position to be successful. And I think, you know, that's kind of where we, where we landed truthfully is uh, I had a different perspective. He had one that he had worked on. We sat together for an hour and went through it. And at the end of it, I was like, I see what you're doing. Let's do it. Like, I, it makes sense to me now that you walked me through it. I'm not just looking at it from the outside and making my own assumptions. It's he's like, okay, here's actually why I did what I did. And it's like, okay, let's do it. And what's also great is the way that he's focused on that particular content strategy. I now also can maybe start another one separate from that. So now we're publishing maybe twice a week, or we've got a, you know, one that's very product focused and here's the value and here's the outcomes. And maybe I do one that's all about the unique perspective of our founders and why we started this in the way that we did. And then you're kind of coming at it from different directions, which I also think is immensely powerful. And I think that's what we're actually going to do just behind the curtains. So I think that answered your question, but I, it's really yeah, interesting. Like yeah. having someone who takes ownership of it and believes in what they're doing is convicted in it. 
And then also being able to like put your ego aside and say, all right, like, let's do it. Like you're in this role for a reason, go do your thing. So, and that, that is a fresh, real story. <laughs> love that. Love that. Yeah. The best roles that I've been in running content always involve trust. I think that's the key word there is like trust with leadership that as a content leader, you know what the heck you're doing and you do have a plan and you can back that plan up with data, both qualitative, quantitative, those things kind of build that out. But then, yeah, ego at the door, got to understand yep. it's not all about you. It's not all about what you want to do and what you want to create and what you want to, you know, um, have those things. And I also love what you said about like product and customer and knowing those two things, because that seems like really low-hanging fruit, but it doesn't always happen. Well, I think the crime that happens is assumptions across mm. the board, right? You don't really know the product. You just hear what, the way it's talked about, or it's like the fluffy stuff on the website. Or you assume because a competitor is doing a certain type of content that we should do the same. We don't actually go validate that with a customer. So maybe, you know, at surface level, it seems simple, but there's a lot of nuance that goes into understanding, a lot of time that goes into understanding those things. But I do think it's super important because you've got to be able to connect those two in a meaningful way that is compelling for a, a prospect or a customer. Yeah, I was, I've was i had a couple conversations this week with other content marketers. And one of the things that came up a couple of times was kind of like where to focus. Where do I focus? Like to me, that's a great example. Like so many content marketers are stuck just creating content like why I talk about all the time, the content hamster wheel, like you're just stuck on this wheel, create, like publish, 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 publish. There's literally no time in the day to understand the product or understand the customer. Yeah. And so yeah. I think like for an action item coming out of this podcast, if you're a marketer in general or a content marketer running your own business, however that is, like it all ties in, but like understand you have to give yourself time to be able to do those things. And that's honestly, for me, that's where so much of the distribution first, the repurposing stuff came in. Cause it's like, if I can figure out these things and I can get a little engine going over here, whew, that frees up time for me to actually spend time doing the creative work, doing the strategic work that I actually need to get done. Yeah. My only caveat there is, uh, unless you're barstool sports or something, I saw something the other day that they published something on their social media channels every 15 minutes. And I was mind blown. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. That, right. I mean, that's amazing. Right. But that doesn't apply to us in B2B. I don't think. Don't compare yourself to Barstool, <laughs> Gary V, uh, yeah. Alex Ramosi, or yeah. anybody else that you yeah. see. <laughs> I think that's yes. the key. Yeah, I mean, we're joking about it, but I think that there is truth in that. And I think that's a good place to wrap is like, when you're building out your strategy, whether it's a holistic marketing strategy, whether it's a content strategy, I think just focusing on your product, your customers, what they want, how you can help solve their problems, how you can educate them matter so much more than all the noise that's out there in the world of like, oh, yep. I saw this cool thing. Oh, I saw this shiny new object to try to like figure out. Focus, man. The more you can focus, the better you're going to be. I completely agree. It's like, you know, for a smaller-ish marketing teams, it's like three to four channels max. Focus on them. Just do a few really well than trying to do a bunch sort of okay. Like you're just doing yourself a disservice if you're overcommitted and spread too thin. And it's like, just figure out what makes sense for you guys. Try it. Define success. If you hit success, double down, but don't try to do everything. Like I said, that's a cardinal sin, I would say. Love it. Yeah, absolutely agree. <laughs> absolutely agree. Especially as I try to uh, build my own business. It's like, uh, yeah, the, the less you do, 
the more effective you actually are because you can, you know, understand where those nuances are and pivot faster and try new things within those areas. You're not just like, yeah, you're not just spread out so thin that Mm -hmm. you can't even focus. So, dude, super fun. I loved having you on. It was great to catch up and chat and hear about your new role. And it was great. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Been a long time coming to get on here and chat with everything going on. So uh, appreciate you having me and uh, awesome chat for sure. Hope your audience enjoys it and make sure you repurpose this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're going to hate it and uh, I won't do anything with it. I'm going to stick it on, a, on an archive somewhere. So just set it on the shelf, <laughs> let it die there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We'll just let this one die. So no. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Carter. We'll chat soon, man. All right. Thanks. See you. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Distribution First, and thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so, so much. And I hope you're able to apply what you learned in this episode one way or another into your content strategy as well. Speaking of strategy, we have a lot of things going on this year that are gonna help you build your brand, 10X your content, and transform the way you do content marketing. Make sure to subscribe to the show and sign up for my newsletter at justinsimon.co so you don't miss a thing. I look forward to serving you in the next episode as well. And until then, take care and I'll see you next time.